1: Glad to make your acquaintance if you're joining me for the first time, and if you're a long-time listener, welcome back. I ask myself every day, I seriously ask myself as I sit down behind the microphone, what can I share today that in some way is going to be helpful? And and I want you to understand, there's a metamorphosis that has taken place, or maybe it's just growing up, I don't know, but when I started my talk radio career, low, 25-plus years ago, and uh, You know, as I was trying to figure out who I was going to be, am I going to be another Limbaugh clone? Am I going to be, you know, more like, I don't know, somebody, am I going to be more like Howard Stern? It took me a while to figure out that, no, the only person who I can really do any kind of uh, justifiable uh, credit to is myself. But I had to trust that that was going to be good enough to draw an audience, to keep them around and and hopefully build that bond of whatever it is, camaraderie, whether it's just trust. I don't know. Credibility. It takes time to build that. And you can you can throw it away in an instant simply by giving voice to things that you don't really believe, but, you know, will get a rise out of people. So I'm very thankful for having gone through that process because I went through a, I went through a pretty extended red meat throwing phase in which I, I learned, you know, the successful formula to grow an audience is give them demons to wrestle with, give them, you know, things that will get them riled up and people come back for more. Now I'm not condemning my listeners. I hope you understand. I was, I was one of the people who would do that with other hosts. I would listen. Yeah. 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 Listening to uh, Rush Limbaugh. For instance, eviscerating some caller who called up to get, uh, you know, in his face. It was a lot of fun to listen to. It's very entertaining. I totally understand that. But along along that road, you know, and throughout the years, I came to a conclusion there has to be a higher purpose. And I mean that in the sense of, I don't think God put me on this earth and said, Go forth, my son, and be really good at getting people riled up. Now I could see him, you know, saying, "Go forth." There's, you know, there's something that I have for you to do. I don't think that was it. But here's the conundrum that I face every day as I sit down to to consider what to talk about, what to to share with you. I believe that I am supposed to be a good witness of what is going on around us, and I don't mean that to sound like and therefore I'm the only authoritative voice you should listen to. Trust me. I don't know enough <laughs> to be lecturing anybody on anything. But I feel a really strong sense of personal stewardship with the idea that because, because I do love to speak and write and communicate and, and I love to read, that I kind of have this, this duty here to, to share the truth as I best understand it and to share it with the understanding that you are not duty bound to accept it or believe it. Or nod your head just intolerant, okay, get get on out of your system, you know, with me. I think I'm supposed to, to speak to truths that that sometimes people would rather not hear or would rather not consider. So there's always a balance that has to be struck. And and I'm only sharing this with you because I'm sure you've asked yourself, okay, what's he what's he going off on today? And honestly, there's days where I think, Am I, is this all I'm doing? Am I just going off on something or is there a purpose behind it? My purpose is I want to speak the truth. I want to be a witness to what's happening around us as clearly as possible. But I want to do it in a way that it's not weighing you down with additional fear or with anger or even with guilt. Now, I think I've improved over the years. I don't throw as much red meat as possible, but... I still struggle sometimes, especially right now. I struggle as I look around at some of the different things that we're trying to deal with. I mean, the, the pandemic has been very fertile ground for, for a lot of different subjects that need to be discussed. The last, I'm putting these in air quotes. Okay, this is my editorial the prerogative. The last election that was held. I think that there there are grave concerns about whether or not there there was uh, some kind of tomfoolery going on or there was some kind of trickery taking place behind the scenes. The fact that you have people very actively saying, don't look at that, don't even consider that, don't even say that there there were reasons to distrust this, leads me to think that, hm huh, you know, if everything was on the up and up, it seems like you'd be like, well, here, let us lay it all out for you. Bury me with information to show how wrong I am! But they are not doing that. They're saying, "No, no, no! You can only look at this information. Don't even talk or pretend that there's nothing else out there. Only this." And these are difficult things to talk about because um, <laughs> you can't really find a good middle ground where it's safe. Well, you know, about half the people feel this way. Half feel this way. You know, I can I can just hang out here in the middle, and nobody's going to catch on. I've been seeing this for years. You probably noticed it too, but I, because of what I talk about, because of the things that I am paying attention to on a daily basis, I've seen the line getting clearer and clearer. And what I see happening right now is we are coming to the the point where you've got a choice to make. And I don't mean, you know, what's, you know, which side are you going to fight on? I mean, you have a choice to make of, will I comply or won't I? and it's a little bit sad and it's it's just a little bit disappointing to see how many people have whether it's out of fear well i'm just afraid i don't want to kill other people and i don't want to die of some disease have you know surrendered their ability to to think and act and choose for themselves It's also disturbing how many people have felt, uh, I don't know if they they just felt marginalized or felt like they were powerless. And so they lured that opportunity to, to be on top of other people. And you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mask enforcers. I'm talking about the people who clamor. Why aren't you vaccinated? The ones who would call you a grandma killer. And insist, we should take away all of your rights, or we should take away at least enough of your rights until you're so uncomfortable and so unfree, you have no choice but to take the vaccination. And let's not pretend that these people don't exist. They do. But again, it's hard to understand how people can see that kind of behavior and not conclude, there's something terribly wrong with that sort of thinking. They still believe in their hearts, well, I'm just trying to get people to do the right thing. I just want to get everybody on board because they were all in this together. You know, they're they're repeating the slogans they've been fed through their mainstream media sources, but they're completely trying to ignore or maybe trying to gloss over the fact that what they're advocating really it doesn't come down to does the vaccine work or not? What it comes down to is is it my choice, or does the collective have the right to force me, to coerce me, to bend me to its will on matters of personal choice, especially medical choice? So the, the tightrope I have to walk every day is how can I share stuff with you that is important and that matters, but is also in, in some ways disturbing enough that a lot of people really aren't grateful for it? I don't know about you. There's enough bad news to go around. I don't want to live in that mindset where I'm always just looking for the worst. At the same time, when I see things that that I think constitute the need for a very clear, unequivocal warning, I feel like I have a duty to speak up, but I do it with the understanding that it's going to make me unpopular. Some people are going to be furious. How dare you make me confront that idea that I absolutely did not want to see? And I felt that way myself about other issues. I, I get where they're coming from. I just don't know. I don't know that I've ever felt that there was more on the line than what we have right now. There is, uh, there is a weird feeling in the air, and that's saying something for what we've been through in the last year and a half. To say, huh, something seems a little bit off, you know, considering all that we've been through and all that we have adapted to and learned to uh, endure and overcome. So I don't know what comes next, but I see some pretty disturbing signs on the horizon. And so I'm going to share with you some thoughts from what I believe are people who are approaching this more from a principled standpoint than just a partisan standpoint. I personally try to dispense with labels as much as possible just because I I think it's too easy to throw a label out there and boom. Now this person is pigeonholed and we think we know everything that we need to know about them when that's not the case. So coming up in the next few minutes, we're going to talk about the eviction moratorium that the CDC is looking to resurrect and what a huge warning flag it is for anyone who understands why it's so essential government be limited in what it does. It's also a huge uh, red flag, by the way, pun intended, for anybody who's ever um, studied Marxist ideals. Transferring property from the uh, property owning class to the uh, proletariats to the to the needy that's effectively what it's doing charles c w cook has an excellent detailed explanation of why this uh, cdc pushed eviction moratorium is illegal it's tyrannical and it's unamerican stick around we'll talk about it right after these messages
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, we are back. do want to mention the sponsors for my show, including MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I've listed them in the show notes, which I post with each episode. Uh, these are the show notes for the 5th of August, 2021. And I would, I would just be very encouraged if you would stop by and click on those links, contact these, uh, these advertisers and tell them thank you for being a sponsor. So look, I think you and I are standing at a, at a crossroads in that we have a choice to make. How are we going to respond as more and more control is pushed upon us? I like the way um, Hannah Cox, who writes for the Foundation for Economic Education, put it. She says, it's a balancing act of protecting civil liberties, property rights, and your own bodily autonomy while, while honoring the value of human life. Right? We don't want to be irresponsible. But she also says, personally, it's been a landmine of respecting the rights of others and their choice to approach situations differently, so long as they don't try to force their choices on others. And it hasn't been easy. And of course, there is no problem which government cannot complicate by involving itself in it. And this is one of the examples. You know, last year when the lockdowns were, were put in place, I'm not trying to say I told you so, but I was one of many, many voices saying this is really a bad idea. And thankfully, there were countries like Sweden that resisted the lockdown mania. States like uh, North Dakota that, that also wouldn't lock everything down. They didn't, t- they didn't kill their economies For the sake of trying to control a disease. And and just to put this in perspective, Australia is on its sixth lockdown. And it's not just a lockdown. They've actually deployed their military. They are sending police house to house, checking, knocking on doors and asking people, is there anyone here who does not live in this immediate household? They want to come in and search around. They're taking it very seriously. And you can understand why. Because COVID is on the rise. I'm sure you've heard the headlines, the Delta variant. Oh, my goodness, it's spreading. Why do you realize they have had five deaths in their country? Now, I'm not trying to be callous here. I'm not trying to suggest that those five deaths somehow didn't matter. But let's have some perspective. Sixth lockdown. Wow, they work so well. We just have to keep doing them over and over and over again. See, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter whether you lock it down or not, the virus continues to spread. As we learned here in America last year, the biggest spread during the times when when the transmission was the highest was among people in households. Not being spread in public, not being spread on surfaces. That's the kind of stuff that's coming our way. And, of course, you know, to protect those who were told you are unessential, you should stay home, you cannot work, you cannot have an income. And so many people obeyed. Okay, all right, whatever you say. That presents a problem. How are you going to pay the rent? Ah, well, says government, I'll just, I'll cut you a check. I'll borrow money, which we'll create out of thin air with the Federal Reserve banking system, and we'll just dump trillions into the economy. That should keep you going. Okay, well, so a $1,400 check here, a $600 check there. Wow, isn't this great? Look at all the money. It's not going to cover the rent for a lot of people. And so this puts the landlord in a very bad position. Now, contrary to what you might think, landlords are not fat cats who light cigars with $100 bills. They're not rich jerks taking advantage of the poor people who just need a roof over their heads. You know, most landlords probably look a lot like you and me. They're middle class people with investment or income properties that they are renting out, providing that service for people in a contract that they enter into with those renters. And yet here comes the CDC last year. And by the way, it it has to be pointed out. This was done under the Trump administration. So own it, Trump supporters. With a moratorium and I'm sorry, an eviction moratorium. It's crazy. I like how Charles C.W. Cook puts it. He says, you know, if you had a progressives try to establish a CDC-led dictatorship to further a policy illegally promulgated by Donald Trump on your 2021 political bingo card, well, he says it's time to collect your winnings. Summing up the you-and-whose-army approach that has long marred the federal response to COVID, Representative Maxine Waters of California proposed yesterday that if Congress can't muster the votes for a renewal of the national eviction moratorium that President Trump ordered in September of last year, the CDC should simply, the director of the CDC, should simply declare the renewal herself. Here's what Maxine Waters said. She said, I don't buy that the CDC can't extend the eviction moratorium, something that's already done in the past. Who's going to stop them? Who's going to penalize them? There's no official ruling saying they cannot extend this moratorium. Come on, CDC, have a heart. Just do it. Now, the article here says at Vox, Ian Milheiser was outraged, not by Maxine Waters, of course, but by the very idea that the lawless unilateralism of a president he once believed was planning to arrest and imprison him might finally be brought to an end. In a single chilling sentence, Milheiser presented the argument in favor of the CDC's authority to play emperor, quote, Federal law permits the CDC to make and enforce such regulations as, in its judgment, are necessary to prevent the introduction, transmission, or spread of communicable diseases. Well, la-di-da. That sounds like a blank check to me. (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Charles C.W. Cook says, if the law Milheiser is citing here were to be interpreted according to his wishes, it would quite literally represent an enabling act. In fact, he says, I wrote last week that COVID-19 has given us progressivism unleashed, and there really is no better example of that phenomenon than this. Okay, now listen close, because here's why. This isn't just bash on the progressives. This, he says, the primary purpose of the United States Constitution is to separate power between the branches of government. The system for which Ian Milheiser and others are clamoring would do exactly the opposite placing untrammeled dictatorial authority into the hands of a single, unelected technocrat, whose dominion was limited solely by his own judgment. In his citation, millheiser changes the his in the statute to its, which, which suggests he may be aware at some level of just how extraordinary his argument is. Under such an arrangement, there can be no such thing as a limiting principle. For to hand a federal agency the power to invent any regulation it considers necessary in a crisis is to hand that federal agency full control of the government. In Federalist Number 47, James Madison observed that a system in which all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary are placed into the same hands, whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. Now, Charles C.W. Cook says, if that sounds like an overstatement, consider that the CDC's apologists are not content merely to gift these legislative and executive powers to its director, but they want the judicial branch to abdicate its role too. At Slate, Mark Joseph Stern urges his readers to take aim at the primary culprit, the Supreme Court, and submits that the CDC has been forced to relinquish its power because of SCOTUS. Blame the Supreme Court, millheiser writes today. This is a problem created by the Supreme Court. Now, in Congress, meanwhile, Representative Cory Bush of Missouri wants President Biden to ignore the court, reissue the ban, and as NPR's Steve, in- Steve Inskeep put it to her, tell anybody who doesn't like it, sue me. Or as Maxine Waters would say, channeling her inner Andrew Jackson, just do it. Now, as usual, the problem is that Miller, I'm sorry, Millheiser, Stern, Bush and Waters, the problem they have is not really with the Supreme Court, but with the Constitution itself. Just do it may be a good slogan for a sports apparel firm, but in a republic such as ours, it's an utterly deleterious governing mantra. There are rules here, rules that Bush, Waters, and others have taken to uphold. And under those rules, as suggested by the plain text of the Constitution and confirmed by the Supreme Court, the CDC has exceeded its existing statutory authority by issuing a nationwide eviction moratorium. That being so, the eviction moratorium must end. Look, I know it's interesting, and it may or may not affect you directly whether you're a renter or a property owner. Actually, if you are a property owner, pay attention. It does affect you. We'll come back to this in just a few moments. Stay with us.
0: This is the Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. We're talking a little bit about the um, eviction moratorium. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments, but uh, let me just take a a second here to uh, talk about one of my sponsors, and that is lifesavingfood.com. Now, I have a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you, please, click on that link. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you find this show is providing value, if I'm, if I'm giving you encouragement, if I'm giving you at least what you feel like is a straight-up view of what's happening around us or things that we should be aware of, and, and that in some way adds value to your life, I would ask you to consider becoming a supporter of this show. One of the ways that you can do that is by visiting lifesavingfood.com and consider if there are some places where you want to fill in holes in your food storage program. Maybe you really want to just lay some away just in case. That's great. That is one of the ways you can do it because every purchase you make through lifesavingfood.com helps to support this program. So you're going to kill two birds with one stone and one of these birds, that's me, is expressing extreme gratitude for your willingness to take care of yourself and to help out at the same time. Check the show notes at the com. Again, that's lifesavingfood.com. So this article from Charles C.W. Cook, this is published on National Review. The CDC eviction moratorium was illegal, tyrannical, and un-American from day one. And, of course, there's a lot of criticism being leveled at the Supreme Court. Well, you know, the Supreme Court should be the ones to, to make sure that... Uh, that uh, the the Constitution isn't invoked to stand in the way of the CDC. Now, anyone who understands anything about the Constitution knows, no, it, it limits government. It calls government into existence and limits its powers by clearly enumerating what the powers are of the d- various branches. So with that division of power, that separation, you don't let too much power consolidate in too few hands. Now, Charles C.W. Cook says, if anything, the Supreme Court has been far, far more indulgent of the moratorium than it should have been. Not only did the court provide a window for the policy to be dismantled in an orderly manner, despite a majority of justices affirming it was flatly illegal. But in his concurring opinion, Justice Kavanaugh suggested the scheme could probably be continued. If the agency were to obtain clear and specific congressional authorization via new legislation, in other words, Congress, you make the laws, you know, if you want this to continue, Congress is going to have to do it. Now, I still don't agree with an eviction moratorium for the reasons earlier stated, but if it was going to go through the lawmaking body, that would be at least an attempt to try to keep government operating within its proper channels, probably still would be unconstitutional. But, you know, that's only because there are some other clauses in there about the Contracts Clause and the Takings Clause. And essentially what's happening is it's it's pushing the uh, property out of the hands of the property owner into the hands of the tenants. It's interfering with the contract between the renter and the landlord. And this is wrong. Now, in his concurring opinion, Justice Kavanaugh suggested the scheme could probably be continued if the agency were to obtain a clear and specific congressional authorization. But as a matter of bad precedent, he may well be correct, because over the years, the courts had many chances to rein in the excesses set in motion by the New Deal, but it has rarely taken them. As an originalist matter, though, it seems abundantly clear that irrespective of which branch is writing the regulations, the federal government lacks the power to order a national eviction moratorium per se. There's precisely nothing in the U.S. Constitution that accords this authority to Washington, D.C. And the claim that the Interstate Commerce Clause awards Congress the power to set the terms of every single rental contract in the U.S. makes even the stretched reasoning of the Wickard v. Filburn decision seem admirably sober. So the moderate response to the end of the moratorium has been that it played a useful role in mitigating the COVID-19 pandemic, but at this stage has overstayed its welcome. This response is wrong. Charles C.W. Cook says the CDC's actions were illegal from the start. They were based upon a statute that brazenly violates the Constitution's mandated separation of power. And they were reflective of an approach to federal power plainly at odds with the enumerated powers doctrine by which the Congress as well as the executive branch is bound. So when he wrote this, the moratorium was dead. He says, our next task must be to bury the faulty assumptions that let it stand in defiance of our constitutional order for 11 months too long. Now, the Biden administration has actually sought to resurrect this. So I don't know. Maybe we're looking at a court battle shaping up. I hope so. Maybe some maybe a landlord needs to be the one to, you know, be that test case. And I'm not wishing harm on anybody who needs to be evicted, but for crying out loud, whose property is it? And if you say, well, but in the case of an emergency like this, you open the door to exceptions that could be made any time anybody wants. All they have to do is invoke some sense of emergency. Can you see why that is so dangerous? I want to share some thoughts on another matter, too. And that is the infrastructure bill pending in Washington, D.C. Oh, they want this bad and I can see why. You know, it's thousands of pages in length. It contains oh, just a bunch of different arcane things that have nothing to do with infrastructure, but everything to do with this global warming project and this social engineering project. But it also represents something that, that, that I hope this is a term that I hope more people would become familiar with. It is a clear representation of political plunder. I'm going to walk you back a few years to the mid-1800s. That's when Frederick Bastiat's essay, The Law, was published. We're talking about a French economist writing about why do we have laws in the first place? Why do we have government in the first place? Now, the cool thing about this is it's not that long of an essay. You could sit down and knock it out in the space of probably an hour. And by knock it out, I don't mean I read every word but didn't understand anything he says. Uh, He doesn't uh, bury it in dry legalese. It's easy to comprehend the difference between legitimate government and government that is instead being used as a tool for legal plunder. And all you have to understand is that human nature is such that when people are given power, They have a tendency to take that power and run with it and use it to their advantage. Now, if that sounds too conspiratorial for you, I don't know what to say. Because that is clearly an aspect of human nature. And when you combine that desire to take power with the ability to coerce people to give you, in the form of taxes, what you want, you know, the money, of course it's going to be misused. So I'm including in today's show notes a link to Richard M. Ebling's article about how the uh, infrastructure bill is a it's an excellent example of political plunder. In other words, using the power of government to plunder the work of people because they're they're borrowing money, spending money, and that money is going to have to be paid back. It isn't going to be paid back by government. It'll be paid back by the taxpayers who are on the hook for that debt. Other people's money. That's the best way you can explain it. And it's being taken from them legally in order to, you know, bless the lives of everybody. I like how Richard Ebling puts it. Nothing says you care in politics as much as a willingness, indeed, a demand to spend at least a trillion dollars of other people's money on some supposedly essential public need. And if you can throw in a little social engineering Along with it, great. Also, nothing says you're desperate for constituent votes in an upcoming election more than making promises to spend large amounts of money in the state in which you're running for re-election, either the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate. So there's a chance to buy favors with plundered money, to further enrich your cronies with plundered money, to further enrich yourself with plundered money. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a racket. This is a very lengthy essay, but Richard M. Ebling is a scholar who is really worth reading. He doesn't approach this from a partisan approach, approach rather. He just, he comes out with the historical background as well as the principles at stake. And he delves into the history of political pandering for donor dollars. He talks about infrastructure spending and political profit making. He also talks about how America's roads and highways really are just fine. And the bridges mostly in good shape. Not all of them, but but mostly. And yet the infrastructure spending has been enlarged to just include more welfare statism and, again, payouts to cronies. His point is that political paternalism and plunder equals infrastructure spending. And he also goes into the historical reality that before government road socialism, there were private roads. And communities solved problems at the community level and through voluntary means rather than, well, just tax everybody and let the government figure out a way to fairly distribute all of this stuff. It's worth your time, and it's going to take some time. So, you know, this this program, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my best take in as short a time as possible. But if you want to delve deeper... You want to do your own research? Here's a great one for you. Click on the link for Richard M. Ebeling's article about political plunder and social engineering contained within the infrastructure bill.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The
1: Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. One of our great sponsors here is the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George. If you are fortunate enough to be moving to Utah, in fact, of all the places in Utah, if you're fortunate enough to be moving to southern Utah, Patriot Home Mortgage is who you need to talk to, specifically the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, because they are an equal housing opportunity lender. They are the ones with the clout, the experience, decades of experience of knowing what the lenders and borrowers need and can help you with everything from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, especially when getting that financing in order is of the essence, because homes just don't stay on the market very long. They are snapped up quickly. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386. You can call 435-703-4522 or stop by and see the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Okay, a couple other things here to share with you today. One of the questions that I think a lot of us are mulling over in our minds, I don't know if you lay awake at night, I find myself battling some legit insomnia these days. And, and I'm actually talking to a few people who are doing this, too. Maybe we're overthinking it. But I think a lot of us are asking the question, how can I respond? What can I do? How do I push back against politicians who are enacting bad policies that you know are not just, a, oh, well, they don't see it's a bad idea. They deliberately see it's, it's a terrible idea in the sense that it's there to take from me what remains of my freedom. How do you do that? And I think, you know, the first and most obvious thing is you've got to understand where your line in the sand is. Now, I don't want to sound all bravado. OK, so here's me thumping my chest. But, you know, when when the rumors came around about, oh, they're going to lock it down again. Lockdowns, mask mandates, the whole nine yards coming. And for all I know, there may be a national lockdown announced next week. I'm at peace not because I've accepted, well, it's a good thing and there's nothing I can do about it. But because I made my mind up months ago, I will not comply. I won't. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go around and heckle people who do comply. I'm not going to go spitting on people, you know, to show them, Haha, I'm not complying. Look at me spreading germs. But I'm not going to put on the, the face mask I'm not going to stay home and, you know, consider myself non-essential. I'm going to live my life as normally as I possibly can. And this is getting hard for a lot of people, especially those who are are being kind of pushed up against the wall and told. You either get the jab or you don't work here. That's a tough place to be in. So I, I would caution you. Let's not, you know, for those of us who say I'm not going to comply. Let's not get the attitude of, you know, you're all on your own. Every man for himself, where possible, let's help those who find themselves pushed out of gainful employment because someone up or down the line, you know, takes a tyrannical hard line and nope, you can't work here unless you follow this policy. And I know the the plausible deniabilities, we're just following the same, you know, guidelines that the, the CDC is giving everybody else, but they have a choice to make too. And while I'm not a big one of, you know, telling people, hey, we should probably boycott everybody, I would say that it is a good way to vote with your dollars. You know, you don't have to spend money at places where your values are not represented. I think we need, uh, you know, legal challenges wherever possible. But to me, the greatest opportunity before us and the one that is most instantly effective is simply do not comply Don't comply with whatever the person is saying, whether they're in a lab coat, whether they're in a uniform. Don't comply with these lockdown demands. Oh, what was the meme I saw? It was the it was a meme of the young actress from uh, Stranger Things dressed up in her ice cream shop uniform. And it said you your continued compliance is the reason the goalposts keep moving. Let me put that another way. Every time you comply with the latest demand, the latest mandate, it just shows those in power that, yep, we've still got them. They're on the hook. They're not getting away. Yeah, they may gripe about it. They may moan about how they don't want to do this, but in the end, they're going to comply. And so they will continue to move those goalposts, you know, with promises. Well, now, if we all do our part, we can get back to this. I don't want to sound like a radical. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm being a jerk about this, but I made my mind up a long time ago. I'll take it from here. And I'm dead serious about that. I'm not looking for a fight, I'm not looking for confrontation. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to find it. People will confront you. Then the real test is can you be diplomatic, true to your principles? and not bring more anger into the situation than is already there. You know, you may be thinking, Brian, are you suggesting that I should subject myself to abuse, possibly? I'm saying it could happen. How you response, that's going to be your choice, but I don't think you're going to get traction, and I don't think you're going to accomplish anything by bringing more anger to the situation. Just remember this. For the, this cli- this uh, clamor for power to really take hold. It depends upon enough people throughout society accepting the idea that, well, it looks like we pretty much have consensus here. Everybody thinks this way. Everybody agrees. You have to be willing to be one of the people who breaks that consensus and shows we are not all in lockstep on this. And the beautiful thing about it is you know there are other people out there who feel the same way that we do. Who understand this is wrong and I feel dirty every time I have to put that rag on my face. Every time I feel like, oh man, you know, now I gotta I I haven't got the the vaccine yet. I'm a terrible person. You know it's not the right thing to do. And every time you stand up and say, I won't do it. You give courage to other people who now realize they're not alone either, and it's okay. Even if you do take some brick bats, you know, from those who are running on emotion and running on, I don't know, suppressed fear and rage. You know, "Ah, you're you're showing my choices to be those of a coward. That's not our intent, but you know, their their own uh, conscience may convict them in some cases, and they're gonna lash out. You're the source of their pain. Your good example is helping them recognize their bad example. Of course, they're going to be upset. I think about, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was back at the beginning of last fall, maybe the end of last summer. It was when mask mandates were really coming into everybody must wear a mask. Everybody must w- must wear a mask. And where I was living at the time in Utah County I would guess the mask compliance was 95% or above. For a while there, it was kind of 50-50, and then boom, it was like 9 out of 10 people all were wearing masks everywhere you It was very rare to see somebody who was unmasked, which means you really stood out if you didn't have a mask. And I think about my boys and me going to Cal Ranch. And, you know, they were, I love Cal Ranch because they weren't really rigorously enforcing it. There were some places that were like heel clickers to the max over this kind of thing. Cal Ranch was much more casual. We went there to, I think my son wanted to get a, a shirt or he was looking for a hat or something like that. So we went in there, we walked around, looked for what we wanted, found what we wanted, and we were standing in line to pay for it. And as we were standing there and my two sons who were with me, all three of us were maskless. All the employees were masked. Most of the people coming in were masked. I watched a young man come through the front doors and he's pulling a mask out of his pocket as he comes in the store. And I can see the reluctance on his face as he's pulling it out of his pocket. He steps in, looks around, sees the three of us standing there without masks and shoves the mask back into his pocket and walks on into the store. Now, for some people. That may be a truly horrifying thing. Are you bragging about the fact that, you know, you showed someone by your irresponsibility that they could be irresponsible, too? Well, I'm sure some people would choose to see it that way. But I'd like to think what we showed him was you're not alone. You're not a weirdo for not wanting to wear the face mask. And frankly, we're not going to do it. So you will not be the odd man out if you choose not to wear the mask either. I think that civil disobedience is something that is terribly underrated. And and you understand, I hope, when I say civil disobedience, I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about just simply using your influence. The fact of how you live your life, your very presence in a room, is proof that not everybody is willing to bend the knee. Not everyone is willing to go along to get along you know feeling like they're they're surrendering some essential part of themselves just to avoid you know being picked on or being singled out i know it's not easy I'm not going to pretend it is but god bless every courageous soul that you know has the the courage to stand up and do it because it's the right thing to do and it really does give courage to others